Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Lawcast. This time we're at ground zero of the Attitude Era. It's the Vince Russo fever dream WrestleMania. It's WrestleMania 15, the Raging Climax. Is that really what the subtitle for this is? That is really the subtitle. Oh, man, that's the title of a romance novel I wrote. I gotta change it. A very spicy romance novel. The Rage and Climax. Nothing about this is raging or climactic. No, there is no climax on this show. It is very disappointing. This I can relate to. This show is literally like if you took everything about this year that was good and you just ignored all of it. <laughs> yeah. It it's amazing. This is an incredibly successful year. We've done the first three pay-per-views of this year now. They all sucked. They're all terrible. How are people? And everybody was enjoying this shit at the time. I was loving it. And like, here's the thing. Like, I've watched the Raws from this year. And they're wildly entertaining every single week. Yeah, they just any, couldn't do a pay-per-view. Literally any fucking Raw from this year, any, is better than this show. Literally all of them. They try to do... They try to make this a Raw. They have a bunch of Raw-like segments on this show, and it just doesn't work. They just can't capture that energy, and I don't really know why. They're literally an interview segment where, like, Kevin Kelly or somebody is there, and Vince McMahon just wanders into the screen, like, looking at the ceiling, like, oh, hey, I didn't see you there. Anyway, let me give you some exposition. Like, it doesn't work on pay-per-view. Ugh. But yeah, this show is incredibly successful, but also incredibly bad. Though to date, and again, let's look at this in context. We sit here on the dawn of WrestleMania 35. So many great WrestleManias in the rearview mirror. So many great main events that have been contested. Here at WrestleMania 15, is this in the top 10 WrestleManias? I mean, it's... It's got to be like a top five main event, right? Oh, certainly. I mean, the only better main events we've seen, Hogan Warrior and maybe Hogan Savage to this point. Yeah, I'm not sure that this is a top 15 main event all time. It's not. Even, it's literally the, the worst of the matches that these two have ever had together. And yet, at this point, it was still like the third best WrestleMania main event ever. Yeah, you, just, you, you had not had really high-quality matches in the main event of WrestleMania to this point. Um, no. So this was a departure from that. I mean, the main event, they do their best to save the show. They do, to some extent, redeem it. If the main event hadn't delivered, there would be nothing about this show that was any good. God, no. So we left off at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, where Steve Austin retained his WrestleMania title shot by beating Vince McMahon despite the interference of the debuting Paul White. Um, on, on the undercard, Mankind retained the WWF Championship by fighting The Rock to a draw in a last-man-standing match. That would appear to set us up for Steve Austin versus Mankind at WrestleMania, or maybe a triple threat match of Steve Austin versus The Rock versus Mankind, which I know they considered, and I think it was Vince Russo who pushed for it. I mean, do you think that that 
I can't imagine that that would have been a good idea. I no, I think they were better off going with the singles match, but they just they didn't really have anything for Foley to do is the problem. Right. And that's a shame because he's become such a huge star over the past six months that it really doesn't make sense not to do something with him. But there just wasn't, wasn't a natural opponent. I mean, the only thing that really jumps out at me is him and Undertaker, but I think they feared putting that match on and them having to follow their King of the Ring Hell in a Cell match. Yeah, I think they were genuinely worried about what would happen yeah. if they ever put those two together what again. What Nick would do to himself to try to get the match over. Well, the other problem, too, is that currently at this point, the main event has four people in it. And, and then there's the entire rest of the roster who's like three miles down on the ground. It's just Austin Rock, Foley, and Undertaker. Nobody else is even close to a main eventer. No, which is why they end up pushing Triple H to the moon starting at this show, because they've got to get somebody else into that main event. And it's kind of interesting that they wind up choosing him, but we'll kind of get more into that later, I think. Yeah. So the night after St. Valentine's Day Massacre on Raw, Vince McMahon goaded Michaels, Commissioner Shawn Michaels, into booking Mankind against The Rock in a ladder match for the WWF Championship. Rock won that match and the title after Paul White interfered on his behalf and choke slammed Mankind off the top of the ladder. So then we were set, Steve Austin versus The Rock at WrestleMania. I don't think there was anything else it could have been. I mean, there's no conceivable money match that's even fucking close to that. And I mean, the buy rate bears that out. Yeah, yeah, and they'd clearly, they'd been building to this since the fall. As soon as they realized they were going with Rock, Rock the corporate champion against Steve Austin is definitely the way to go. Yeah, and I mean, like, they feel like stars from another galaxy on this show. They really do. Yeah, I mean, The Rock, this is, for me, really what cements The Rock, not just as a main eventer, a top guy, but as a megastar. Like, yeah. when this when this buy rate came in, they knew, like, we've got a star nearly on par with Austin. Let's say, because they there's a baseline buy rate that you expect with Austin on a big show like this, but this one blew it all the fucking way. Like, yeah. this buy rate was incredible. They did 800,000 buys, which topped any WrestleMania in history, um, including beating the previous year when they had Mike Tyson. So they yeah. do bigger than the Tyson buy rate without Tyson or any really any big celebrity involvement at all. Frankly, with a show where no match other than the main event has yeah. really any mainstream appeal at all. No drawing matches other than the main event here. It's purely on Rock and Austin. Yeah, so that's the sign where it's just like, oh shit, we've got two icons on our hand here. Yeah, this is, I believe, the WrestleMania where the quote is attributed to Vince. We don't need celebrities. Our wrestlers are the celebrities now. Oh, God damn it, Vince. Sounds right, though. I mean, he is right, because especially during this time, this is when Austin and Rock start like, appearing on TV shows and they're yeah. like on commercials and shit. Like, those two become household names. Yeah, um, it was on the way into the show. They they got the TV Guide covers for the first time, which was a huge deal in 1999. Today, TV Guide, I assume, no longer exists and no one cares about it if it does. But back in the late 90s, TV Guide was huge. That was the biggest circulating magazine in the country. Yeah, Kids, let your uncle Steve and Kyush explain <laughs> for a moment what it was like in the 90s. You see, 
we didn't have fancy things like DVRs or the in- we had the internet, but nobody bothered to post anything constructive on it. It was just a bunch of people on chats showing each other and porn. And yeah, porn. it was mostly porn. So in order to actually find out what was going to be on TV, you either had to sit and watch that channel that just endlessly scrolled what the channels were going to be. But if you wanted to like find out what was on later in the week, you had to buy the TV guide at the grocery store and they'd have it right there next to the candy. So you could just grab it as an impulse buy and then read all about it. So literally every time you went to the grocery store, whoever was on the cover of TV guide would be the first person you saw. So that by by default makes that person like the most famous person in the country that week. Yeah. So getting that was a big deal. Um, so also on that same February 15th Raw where Rock won the title, Shane McMahon won the European Championship from X-Pac in a tag match, setting up Shane McMahon versus X-Pac for WrestleMania. And what will I contend? I will contend is the second best match on this show. I might argue it's the first best match on this show. <laughs> it was the first time Shane McMahon vastly exceeded expectations in the ring, but it was not the last. And it's one of those things, like, we'll talk about this more when we get to it, but the best Shane McMahon matches are the ones where he actually works. They're not, like, the stunt matches. Like, this is just basically a match with a lot of, like, extra stuff to it. But, like, Shane McMahon can work, man. He's such a great heel. It's weird that his kind of legacy is as a baby face because, God, he was a fantastic heel. One of the least likable human beings in the history of wrestling. Yeah. So, I mean, when Shane gets in the ring, it's clear he's trained hard. I think I've heard he was in the warehouse with Tom Pritchard like every single night leading up to this. Good for him. It shows. Yeah. And I, he's a great athlete. Like, he absolutely could have been a great full time wrestler if he had, you know, committed to that. Yeah. And I mean, there's always the X Pac test, right? Like, if you can't work a match with X Pac, you can't work a match. And he stole the show with X Pac. <laughs> Well, and I think this is really a tribute to how much they trust X-Pac, that like, yes. Vince is putting his son in the ring with X-Pac for his first big match. And like, it's tough to express just how much X-Pac is given during this time period. Like, listen, X-Pac is a very tiny man, especially during this period. It's really the crux of all of his angles. And he's a really terrible promo. Yeah. <laughs> And he's got a voice that sounds like this all the time. And like, it's very odd. But he's such an incredible worker that the literally they trust him to work miracles. <laughs> like we said, the X-Pac test. If you can't have a good match with X-Pac, you get fired. Yeah. This is during a time period where X-Pac may have been the only great wrestler on this roster. Like, you could make the serious yeah. suggestion that even guys like Owen Hart and Steve Austin aren't what they were before due to injuries and Owen Hart just doesn't give a shit anymore. Yeah. It's really just talk. Yeah. I he's a very underrated part of this era. He is so much more over than I think people remember. Uh, yeah. The the fact that this transitions into X-Pac heat is one of the most baffling things of this era. In a different era he would have been the world champion. God, yes. And this era that we live in right now. Oh, God. He'd totally be the champion. Fuck yeah. Uh, The next week, February 22nd, Raw was headlined by The Undertaker versus Kane in an Inferno match. Yes, they did an Inferno match on free TV. 
Christ. Uh, the Undertaker won that match by setting Kane's foot on fire. Uh, Vince McMahon was on commentary for the match, but he went silent when Paul Bear delivered him a gift, which was revealed to be a teddy bear. And then the Undertaker took the bear from Vince and set it on fire in one of just like the most compelling visuals I can remember ever in wrestling. The whole The Undertaker kidnapped Stephanie thing is really good television. Yeah. And like this part of it, just like The Undertaker never looked more evil than in that moment when he sets that teddy bear on fire. Yeah. Vince naturally underplays the moment collapsing on the ramp and screaming why <laughs> good old vince always count on him for some acting jobs it would i think it would have been much better if he had just like been silent and like despondent like it would have been like would have been creepy to see vince mcmahon like not knowing what to do or say yeah almost like break character and be like i what like how did you get that yeah but yeah i mean Big, big fan of this version of the Undertaker character. I think they really had something here, and it doesn't it doesn't quite deliver because they just they end up moving through the storylines at too fast a pace. Yeah, this creepy, malevolent Taker who seems to have a master plan is very cool. Yeah, I don't really remember how this started. Like, I don't remember how he developed this ambition to take over the company, but I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, the teddy bear belonged to Stephanie McMahon. Um, so McMahon books Undertaker against the big boss man in a Hell in a Cell match for this show. Uh, not the right member of the corporation. Like, actually, I think anyone else from the corporation would have been better. Undertaker versus China? Sure, even that. <laughs> Kane, Big Show, Shamrock, Test, all would have been better than the Big Boss Man. The thing is, like, the Big Boss Man's great for TV because he's a great bodyguard and doing run-in attacks and stuff. He had a ton of heat. But anytime you put him in a match, that heat would dissipate immediately because people did not want to see him wrestle at all sucked in the ring at this point just the shits man <laughs> it's just amazing he's lost like 50 pounds from where he was in the late 80s but he's so much less mobile than he was back then yeah i mean he's he's just getting up there in age yeah, i mean it's it is is messed up it is what it is and like his character is super compelling but he's just he's not really a credible threat at this point either because when was the last time the boss man won a wrestling match <laughs> No, and he's a total heel is the other problem. So you've got a heel because the Undertaker is playing a heel in this feud. You needed somebody who could play face against the Undertaker here. And that's sort of the problem that you get when you create like a heel factory. When you have a babyface champion, you have to create like sort of a heel factory to face him. But this always comes up is that after a while, you've got way more over heels than anything else. And then they got to fight each other. And nobody cares about that. <laughs> Yeah. Shamrock and Taker would have an excellent match at Backlash the month after this. And I think that should have been WrestleMania. Hell yeah, they should have done that. This was one of those years where Backlash was way better than WrestleMania. Like most of them during this time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so the other big feud was uh, Mankind against Paul White, the big nasty, the big show. 
Why did they call him the Big Nasty? Because he wanted to be called the Big Nasty. That was his idea. He is big and nasty at this point. But that was literally his thing, is that he came in and he's just like, I want to be called the Big Nasty. <laughs> <laughs> and Vince was like, uh, no. <laughs> just how much does the Big Show suck at this point? It's such a disappointment, though, because there are times where you'll see him. He's like, that motherfucker so huge. And he'll do his choke slam, which is like the most impressive finisher I've ever seen. And somehow in between, he just looks lost. He's just like fat and burned out and greasy and stinky and boring. And he doesn't know. He, he clearly doesn't seem to know what his character supposed to be. Because Vince has clearly told him, like, well, you're just the big show. Go out there and be the big show. Yeah. So, I mean, they bring him in as a corporate enforcer, but they've got, like, him and Rock are feuding almost immediately. Right. Like, it's just, it, there's just too much on these shows. Everything has to move so fast. Like, we can't get a couple months of, you know, big show being an actual heel against Rock. They've instantly got to have tension between the two of them. Which is a shame, because if they had kept that going for six months, they could have just turned Rock face and done something there. It they, For reference, at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, the Big Show joins the corporation. Here, one month later, yeah. he turns face. Yep, kicked out. F foreshadowing the rest of his career that he would turn face and heel like five times this year. Yeah, and they didn't turn him face because he was getting such a baby face reaction. Like, they just, they never, ever figured out what to do with him. And part of the problem is, he just doesn't have that presence like Andre has. Like, he's huge, and that's cool, but he just doesn't, like, emit, like, make you fear him in that same way. You know what I mean? Like, some guys just have that sense where you're just like, oh, shit, that guy's going to come and kill me now. Paul White never had that. Well, and but by the time we saw Andre in a featured role on national TV, he had been wrestling for what fifteen years. That's true. Here, what I mean, he's a couple years, four years into his career at this point. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just overexposure. He would he would later become a great performer. It just took a little while for him to learn how to wrestle. Yeah, it's just such a shame. Like the, the the promise that he showed as the giant in WCW at first never gets realized ever. No, no. But by the time he figured himself out, it was just too late. They had already jobbed him out. Yeah, there's no recovering from that. He's one of those guys, and I know they never would because Vince just saw like eternal potential in him. But they should have let him leave and come back. They should have just let him go do something else and get freshen himself up, and they just never did. And the problem being at that point, where was he going to go? Oh, there's a home for a seven-foot motherfucker in New Japan. Let me just yeah. tell you. I mean, although in the early thousands, New Japan is not the place to be. No, but I mean, shit. Maybe he could have turned it around himself. He would have been fucking fighting MMA fights for Inoki. Yeah, exactly. Him and Bob Sapp <laughs> with a shoot fight would have headlined the Tokyo Dome. Oh, Jesus Christ. So on the March 22nd Raw, they booked Austin to face Big Show in the main event. Um, Mankind got to be the referee because he had beaten The Rock by DQ earlier in the show. 
And with Mankind's help, Austin beat Big Show. Clean. Not. I mean, he hit him with a chair, but it was an ODQ match. But he pinned him in the middle of the ring on free TV weeks after his debut. That Arg- Arguably, Big Show is maybe the quickest ever to go from debut to buried. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's dead after that. He's fucked. Yeah. He's a fucking giant who got beat clean on television. Like, what do you do? They, they blew off their WrestleMania 2000 main event. Like, yep. They should have been building to Austin versus Big Show at WrestleMania the next year, and they did it on free TV. I, it's insane. Uh, like, how do you even? Uh, this drives me insane. It drew great numbers, a 7.1 rating with 5.5 million homes. That was second in cable history to that point, only to when WCW replayed the Goldberg versus DDP Halloween Havoc match on Nitro the night after. Wow. Yeah. Big numbers. Probably would have been big on pay-per-view if they'd saved it for that. I mean... An undefeated Big Show, who's the world champion and beaten everyone for a year, versus Steve Austin. Hell yeah! I mean, it's just it writes itself, doesn't it? Yeah, just like Vince's right hand man, like the ultimate thing, his ultimate weapon against Steve Austin. If they they give up on that idea in one month, one month. So, yeah, I mean, as we've said, the big show, total disaster. After a month, like, he's done. It's over already. There's, like, literally nothing that he does that's worth even talking about for, like, another four years. I, when does he get good? Like, Mayweather, I guess? I mean, he starts to get better right around the time he, like, takes the title off Lesnar. But, like, he doesn't get good, yeah, until the Mayweather when he comes back. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. One of the biggest disappointments ever in wrestling. Absolutely. Uh, that March 22nd episode of Raw also had the infamous beer truck segment where Austin soaked Rock and Vince and Shane with beer. A Hell segment yeah. so good they redid it 15 times over the years in various forms. A segment so good that Kurt Angle ripped it off and it's the most memorable moment of his career. <laughs> Yeah. Like, that's fucking good. Yeah. I remember at the time feeling like the Austin Rock feud going into Mania was a little flat until they did that. It's a really special moment. And I I agree. Like, the Rock Rock Austin feud had, like, amazing heat on it coming off of Survivor Series, and they had to cool it down. And they just didn't really interact very much after that. That's the I think it was it was missing the one big promo where it's yeah. just the two of them face to face in the ring and there's no Vince and there's no Shane and Rock kind of lays it on the line that like this is it for me like I've got to prove that I'm the real champion at WrestleMania I'm going to beat you. And I think that's what it is. Is this never really feels like Austin versus Rock. Yeah. It just feels like Austin versus McMahon with the ultimate McMahon sidekick rock is just a conduit for vince yeah that's why 17 is so successful is they have that sit down interview it's awesome they make it personal yeah yeah 
Both men's pride are on the line. Both their legacies are on the line. I can't fucking wait until we get to that show, Steve. Watch so much garbage. So much. Yeah. It's not far off. We got to get through another terrible show after this. Oh, God damn it. That's right. Oh, my God. Also going on. They turned Jim Ross heel again. Why? (laughs) This is so bizarre. So they bring him out. He does an interview with Bart Gunn where he blames Bart Gunn for his Bell's palsy because he knocked out Steve Williams in the brawl for all. And then he has Steve Williams attack him. And then they also did an interview with Michael Cole where he like, shoots on how Michael Cole's a skinny-ass pretty boy who they're trying to have replace him, and then he kicks Michael Cole in the balls, and everyone cheers. I was to say, like, that is not how you turn someone heel. <laughs> no. Michael Cole and his shitty goatee can fuck off. I just... What is the possible... The possible benefit of turning Jim Ross heel ever? Because like, Jim Ross is a heel to Vince McMahon. That's the thing, is that you really have to realize that Vince McMahon, while respecting and appreciating Jim Ross, hates him on a fundamental level. And what is it about Jim Ross that drives Vince so crazy? Is it the southernness? Is it that he was really a WCW guy? Is it that he needs Jim Ross and that makes him insecure? I think it's just that he's the South personified. He's yeah. got the accent. He's got the cowboy hat. Even though Vince made him wear <laughs> the cowboy hat. That was Vince's idea. JR hated it. But that's almost like a minstrel thing for Vince. Like, hey, Southern boy, wear the yeah. cowboy hat. Yeehaw. Dance for me. And like, but also the fact that he's just so fucking good. Like, Vince always wanted to find another Vince. He always wanted to find that Northwestern guy who looked like himself and talked like himself. And I think it always bothered Vince that the only announcer who could yeah. really do that job was a good old Southern boy who was nothing like him. It's just like JR is the only like office guy. He, he's not the only one, but like he's not Bruce Pritchard. He's not a company man. He'll tell right. Vince to fuck himself and take his ball and go home. Yeah. Cornette was the same way. But, like, for some reason, Vince never did this with Cornette. No, I mean, they did do that NWA invasion. Yeah, but, but even... De- like- debatable whether or not that was Cornette's idea. He denies it, but I sort of suspect it actually was. I, I just don't think, like, Vince... Vince looks at Jim Ross and sees what we look at, what we think when we see like Hollywood heel Batista, like the perfect encapsulation of a bad guy. Yeah. <sighs> so on this show, they booked Bart Gunn in a brawl for all match against Butterbean. <laughs> on the list of bad ideas. I mean, okay. I guess. It doesn't really matter because Bart Gunn, I don't think, was really going to get over. Even though he won the Brawl for All, I don't think he had the charisma or wrestling ability to make any money in wrestling. Okay, but we need to talk about this because this is important. What happens if Bart Gunn wins? Because they Maybe think... they've got something. Maybe. They think they have a star. And I don't think they think they have a wrestling 
star. They have a box. I, I think he's going to be a professional boxer. I think Vince sees like, oh shit, I can take over boxing pay per view yeah. like I always wanted. Yeah, we can get him to fight Tyson. Oh my god. Okay, here's the thing: if like Bard Gun takes down Butterbean with a lucky punch, and then you put him in the ring with Tyson, he's gonna die. Oh my God! Tyson actually would have killed him. Tyson would have uppercutted him into space. Yeah, his head would have come off his neck. Oh my God! But here's the thing: yeah. the obvious thing is, if you want Bart Gunn to win here, pay Butterbean to do the job. He'll do the job. Yeah, like he'll lose. Just gonna cost a little bit of money, but not big money. Like I don't know, another ten grand. I bet he would have gone down. I could swear that he did an interview where he was like, yeah, I would have taken the money, whatever. Yeah, he doesn't care. He's a novelty act. Yeah, he's literally like a carnival show worker. Like, he he fights like bears and shit. Like, it doesn't <laughs> matter to Butterbean. Oh, my God. I, But I think they underestimated how Butterbean was obviously not, he's not like a world-class boxer or anything, but he's a professional fighter. Like, he actually knows how to box. And Bart Gunn was an amateur. Yeah, here's the thing. Bart Gunn's style is hold gloves in, uh, in front of face, try to punch. Butterbean's out there throwing combinations, and Bart Gunn doesn't have any idea what to do with that. No. But I think they thought they had a real boxer in Bart Gunn. They took him off the road for six, eight months here. No matter Train, how- Had him trained full time. Just It's not enough time to become a professional fighter. No matter how good a left hand you have, if your your name is not Brock Lesnar, you cannot learn how to be a fighter at the age of 30, never having done it before. Yeah. So the other names that were bounced around for this fight were Tank Abbott and Chemo. How do you think those would have gone? Who and who? (laughs) You know Tank Abbott. See, I know who Tank Abbott is, and I know who Chemo is, but like neither one yeah. would have moved the needle at all. No, Butterbean was a novelty. He was on those tough man contests, and they had—I mean, it was a, at this point, it feels like in a different decade. But they had used him at the um, the D uh, Degeneration X pay per view against Mark Miro in a worked boxing match, which Mark Miro strove to make look like the fakest thing in the history of professional wrestling. Miro got blown up there was the amazing thing. Like Miro <sighs> Miro is like trying to like rope a dope, but he's really bad at it. Yeah. Like I'll watch that match sometimes. If you're ever wondering just why Mark Miro never made it, Mark Miro sucks. Um, other odds and ends. There's buzz around this time that they're going to do an all women's show. I don't think they could have pulled this off at this point. Like they only had a couple women. They would have had to hire a ton more. And I just don't think they could have booked that show in the way they needed to. Here's the fascinating. How trash would that have turned out to be though? This is the only time in WWE history that they seriously consider this here and arguably the worst time for women's wrestling that ever existed. The times where there was no women's wrestling was better than this time. But they have stars here. They have Sable in China. Well, Sable's pretty much done by this point. Is the idea to base it around China? Probably. Sable in China would be my thought. But like, and then I guess you got like Tori and Ivory and 
Deborah, Jacqueline, Terry, Deborah. I mean, you, you'd have to hire some more. Like, here's the problem. Outside, I don't of know Japan, who you're going to hire. There's not a whole lot out there. Outside of Japan, there are maybe 15 competent female wrestlers in the world at this yeah. point who have are making any sort of living at doing it because there's just no. They were going to do. I don't think they were going to do business with Medusa at this point. No. So just like it would have had to have been like a total TNA, and I don't yeah. mean total nonstop action show. Yeah, that, that's obviously what it was going to devolve into. Like it would have ended up basically being Glow. Well, the fascinating thing is, I think they were trying to find the idea for Total Divas, but there just wasn't the idea of that that existed. Re- yeah, reality TV has Survivor even premiered yet? No, that's like O2. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, if they had any concept of that, they damn sure would have done that. So on the subject of Sable, this would be her final WWF pay-per-view appearance. I, she's already fallen very far from 1998. Um, they've turned her heel just because she's a heel to the writers at this point. There's a ton of heat on her backstage. Uh, there's an appearance on uh, off the record on TSN where she's with China and the segment really goes off the rails. Like Sable implies that China does steroids. Both of them accuse the other of having had tons of plastic surgery. Mm. Obviously they're trying to like build some kind of issue here between them, but feels like it went uh, in a stiffer direction than it was supposed to. Let the record show. If you've never seen this segment before, China tries her best to like keep it kayfabe, but Sable takes it so personally. She goes personal fast. Yeah, it's really bad. Sable's just not happy at this point, and I think for pretty understandable reasons. She didn't want to be a wrestler. Like they forced her into it. She doesn't like wrestling. She's getting hurt when she's in the ring. She and her husband are having problems. She's Surely getting sexually harassed by all of the boys in the locker room, by the fans. It's not a very pleasant existence. No. And I mean, they put her in the ring when they don't want, when she doesn't want to be, because they can't think of anything else for a a person to do in the company, which is really, I mean, that's their fault that they can't come up with any sort of creative idea for her whatsoever. This is probably around the time when Xbox shit in her bag, right? <laughs> I, would have, I would have to say so. So the night before WrestleMania, they held the first and only WrestleMania Rage Party. Believe it or not, I actually watched this shit in preparation for this show. How was it? It was, I I didn't hate it. It was all right. I thought this was an interesting presentation. So they're in a club, like a pretty big club. It looked like there was probably a thousand people there. And like, they've got a stage and they've got balconies. They had musical acts. They had promos from like all the top guys, Austin, Rock, Foley, Corporation, Undertaker in the ministry, DX, Sable. So all the top guys get to do promos And then they had musical acts who were reasonably popular for the time. They had the Cherry Poppin' Daddies who were introduced by Val Venus, of Of course. course. Uh, Big Punisher and Isaac Hayes of Salty Balls fame. (laughs) 
I you guess know. it was just right during South Park's heyday, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, it's 1999. These these were over acts in 1999. It actually looked like a pretty cool party. Yeah, I this what struck me is like I like this setup more than the way they do their pre-shows right now. Like I find their pre-shows right now are just incredibly sterile and lifeless because it's just people sitting at a desk talking and there's no crowd interaction. It's basically like an ESPN pre-show for like the Super Bowl, with just a bunch of people sitting around a desk talking about the game to come. It has no personality to it whatsoever. Yeah, I would like it a lot more if the pre-show was promos in front of the crowd from all the people who are wrestling on this night. Fuck yes. Or even you could do the boring thing with the desk, just intersperse it with something that means something. Like Just let the people talk who are on the show. Fuck. Or even the people who aren't on the show, give them a t- chance to talk. So yeah, airing on Saturday night, this did a solid 1.86 rating on USA. I'm a little surprised they never did this again, but they ended up, um, I don't think they did Access for 2000. I think that started in 2001 for 17, but that kind of surpassed that. This is their you know pre-show event. But I still feel like if they did this today, just had like a cool party, maybe like yeah. after, but like the night after WrestleMania, because people are staying in town. So like you have the Hall of Fame, you have NXT, you have Raw, you have WrestleMania. Like there's chances in there to like actually like throw a party for all these people. Maybe it's just that they don't want to throw a party that a hundred thousand people might show up to. Yeah, and like crowd was pretty liquored up. There was definitely. Um, some chances for things to go kind of sideways with the crowd that size and a you know packed into a club, a lot of alcohol. Steve Austin was pretty lit when he got up to do his promo. You could tell he'd had a few Steve Weisers. Yeah, like The Rock like cut a promo on him, and Steve did not respond to anything The Rock says. He just like, oh, if you fuck, give me a hell yeah, fuck yeah, F- fuck you, Rock. <laughs> All right, so to get into the show, it's uh, March 28th, 1999. We are at the First Union Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. A little surprised they didn't book a dome for this one, but if you're booking a year out, I guess they weren't quite sure how hot they were at this point in 1998. But certainly six months out from this, I think they would have known they could have booked a dome and filled it. Let's say they maybe they still didn't have like the confidence because really they're still just making money hand over fist. They don't need to necessarily like try to risk something like that. Where do they have 16? Is that in a dome? No, it's uh the pond in Anaheim. That one, yeah, I'm really surprised they didn't book a dome for that one. They finally give in and do it for 17, and then it's all domes after that. Sell the damn thing out, yeah, yeah. Um, so the crowd they have a sellout crowd, they announce. 20,276. It's actually 18,274 with 16,756 fans paying $1.4 million and buying $274,000 worth of merchandise. This is the largest North American gate since WrestleMania 6 at the Sky Dome in 1990 and the biggest per head merchandise number I've seen. Oh man, that's yeah. Like, what's that? Uh, like, fourteen bucks a head in merchandise. Yeah, that's nuts, man. That's yeah. They're on fire. 
Um, as we mentioned, and they sell 800,000 pay-per-views, you know, huge success, monster company gross here. They're just rock and roll. And I mean, to do, to outdo the Tyson WrestleMania without Mike Tyson, without having to pay Mike Tyson, you know, two or $3 million or whatever he got paid is an enormous success. Yeah. This is basically all profit for them. They don't owe shit to anybody. Yeah. Um, on commentary for most of the show would be Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler. Jim Ross would replace Michael Cole to call the main event a very welcome return. And let, let's at the record show, we've been very positive about Michael Cole and like him trying to make the best of a bad situation in previous times, even in the last one where he basically had to do all the talking when Jerry Lawler's super horse. Michael Cole is trash on this show. Yeah. If people are just feeding him crappy lines or what, but he's awful. I I wonder if it was just like he's checked out at this point because he knows he's like JR's back. I guess. I but think like, JR's back right after this. I don't remember if it's Cole calling Raw for the next couple weeks, but JR's back full time by Backlash. Dude, like, we're going to get there, but his call during the Undertaker boss man thing is. Among <laughs> literally among the worst calls by any announcer in the history of wrestling. I cannot wait to get there. So we cut straight into the arena where boys to men perform America the Beautiful. Very good performance. It's my I for my money, other than Aretha Franklin, this is the best one. Not yeah. even that was good. Little Richard at WrestleMania 10 was great too. That was pretty good. Um uh, then Freddie Brass Blassie narrates a video package. This is the first time I remember WrestleMania being called the Showcase of the Immortals. This is very much hitting that Vince nostalgia note that he loved. I can't tell if Vince came up with Showcase of the Immortals or if somebody said that and he just like popped an immediate boner and was just like, yes! Yeah. Now, Vince, you know Vince loved this stuff with the old timers. And I'm actually glad that he did it because especially like for people who started watching during this period, this is really the only thing connecting this product to the old product. They do not reference history because their history is loaded with people they don't want to talk about. Yeah. So they just all through this period, they just sort of generally be like the history of WWE is grand and incredible and they just show you like brief glimpses of the moments that they can still show you. Hogan just body slamming Andre or Michael's coming down the wire. And it makes those moments seem so special and important and makes the history of the movie seem so grand that I'm glad that they do this because otherwise the WWE of Hogan's day and the WWE of Austin's are literally unconnected companies. Like there's all, they have nothing in common. Then we get a big pyro display to kick the show off. It's still a pretty small set here. There's no Titan Tron, just kind of a, you know, like a pretty big WrestleMania sign. But I think they were still more interested in selling all the tickets in the arena rather than having a big giant screen block a bunch of the seats at this point. Right. Instead, they just have that giant obnoxious WrestleMania 15 thing in the aisleway. And then our opening match is for the Hardcore Championship as 
Billy Gunn defends against Hardcore Holly and Al Snow in a triple threat match. Why is Billy Gunn now the Hardcore Champion? Fuck if I know. Yeah, what is going on? <laughs> Him and Road Dog just switched spots for no reason. Road Dog is now the Intercontinental Champion, and Billy Gunn is the Hardcore Champion, even though they were feuding for the opposite belts like a week before this. Is this part of like them being like, hey, let's push Road Dog and see if that'll work? Road Dog's just gone to rehab. Why are they pushing him? That's a great question. Because this feels like a burial for Billy Gunn, doesn't it? Yeah. But like, and right after this show, they start pushing Billy again. He wrestles the Rock at SummerSlam. Which is an unbelievable thing that happens. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, it just feels like Russo being unpredictable for the sake of being unpredictable. I think that's the only real explanation here. Yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. It's just... It sure is unpredictable because it's stupid. (laughs) And it's tough to predict what an idiot will do. Just Yeah, that always drives me crazy when it's like, why should we do that? Because that's not a good reason to do anything. That's a child's answer. Yeah. Gun gets jumped as he tries to cut a pre-match promo. Uh, they go to the floor. They fight up the aisle. Snow uses a hockey stick and a broom handle. Uh, Gun fires up, slams Snow through a table. He follows up with a famaster on a chair, but Holly comes in, hits Gun with a different chair to break up the pin, and then Holly is able to cover Snow and get the pin. Hardcore Holly wins the title in six minutes. I did not think this was a very good match. Hardcore Holly is just kind of on these shows winning matches you don't think he's going to win for an awful long time. He doesn't, they haven't even given him like the super heavyweight character yet, so he really has nothing. Yeah. I don't really even know if he's supposed to be a face or a heel at this point. I think he's a heel. I guess he's not particularly likable. No, he's a dickhead. He is hardcore Holly after all. But yeah, like they don't present him either way in particular. He's the only true tweener in wrestling. Next up, we've got a tag team title match as Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett defend against D'Lo Brown and Test. D'Lo and Test were the winners of a battle royal on the pre-show to determine who would get a shot at the tag team titles. Yeah. Yeah. That is that is the state of the tag division at this point. I just... It, this is a waste of test, isn't it? And isn't that... That's a super weird thing to say because test sucks and he's not... He's super green at this point even compared to what he would be. But, like, they're pushing him. Nobody else in this match is going anywhere. Nah. Uh, so this is a three-minute match. Uh, D'Lo sets up for a power bomb. Owen hits him with a missile drop kick, and Jarrett gets the pin, and that is all I have to say about that match. Yep, nothing much else. It's such a profoundly lazy match, and that's something that I don't really like saying because I don't like criticizing wrestlers in that way because there's nothing lazy about professional wrestling. But there's literally a part where like the two women are like facing off, and it's like Ivory and like uh, Deborah. Deborah are like going at it. And literally, like Owen Hart just wanders by in front of the camera. 
as he just like wanders to the next spot. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Just when like you, when you have three minutes at WrestleMania, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> like the match literally ends with like Tess trying to keep a bunch of yelling women in line. So he doesn't notice the pin. Like, what is that? Like, there's nothing here. Um, next up, we've got our brawl for all match Butterbean versus Bart Gun. Uh, they start with a video package where Bart Super. Gun trainers are predicting victory for him. This a totally amazing guy. It, it, the guy asked him, like, oh, when do you think Bart's, what do you think the result's going to be? He's like, I think Bart's going to win in the second round stoppage. And it's like, <laughs> shut up. No, he's not. Shut up. Um, so the judges are boxing trainer Kevin Rooney, boxer Chuck Wepner, and WWF Hall of Famer Gorilla Monsoon making uh, his final on-screen appearance here. He is clearly very sickly. He's lost a ton of weight, and yeah. he would uh, sadly pass away a few months after this. But gets a huge ovation here. Very nice for him to get this moment in his hometown. Is there also some pretty good judges? I mean, if you're going to do yeah. this. Legit. Chuck Wepner was a pretty big name boxing, the inspiration for Rocky. Yeah. I like them being like, the only man to fight Andre the Giant and Muhammad Ali, which is not true because Antonio. Yeah, Inoki. <laughs> Lied to by a professional wrestling promotion. Anoki was sitting at his home watching this, just yelling at the screen. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you know how this goes. Butterbean knocks the fuck out of Bart Gun. Um. <laughs> Bell goes. Butterbean throws two or three punches and drops him. After about fifteen seconds, Gun makes it to his feet, gets a standing eight count. And then just gets absolutely leveled by Butterbean. Just hit with a hellacious knockout punch. He crumples to the mat. His head hits the rope and his neck wrenches. This looked really bad. Even having seen this many times. Oh, before, it's brutal. It is. I've watched so, 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 so many knockout videos and gifs and stuff like that like anybody who follows the ufc to any extent has seen a million of them this is maybe the most brutal knockout i've ever seen in my life yeah Bar i've seen fights where guys died that didn't look this bad barkun is incapable of defending himself like he goes out there and like like kind of squares up with butterbean throws a jab and butterbean like pops him in the face once and barkun just like literally finds himself turned around with his back to butterbean in the corner like wait what where did he go yeah. It's like, and at that moment, you're like, oh no, no, this shouldn't be happening though. And Butterbean like jabs him, jabs him, feels him out. It's like, this guy sucks. And levels him in the face. Thunder. And then he waits to get up. And like, you can see Butterbean like jumping up and down, like, I'm going to kill this guy on live television. They probably should have stopped it after the first knockdown. He's clearly concussed. Like, he yeah. doesn't even get his hands up to protect against the next one. He just gets leveled. I, this could have been really bad. Turns out he was okay 
this is really the end of him in the WWE. Yeah, I feel like they pretty much fired him as soon as he got back through the curtain. Butterbean literally knocked the career out of this guy. <laughs> like, it is horrible. We should probably address kind of the conspiracy theory that, like, Jim Ross booked this to, like, humiliate Gunn as revenge for Gunn knocking out Steve Williams. I don't, I don't buy that. That's literally ridiculous because a Vince McMahon does not give a shit about Jim Ross's like hard on for stock. No, I'm sure he loved it that he knocked out Jr.'s boy. I'm sure he made fun of Jr. for that all the time. Jr. was not in charge of the booking at this point. It just would not have happened that way. And second of all, I genuinely think they wanted Bart Gunn to win. I think they thought they had something to gain from this. Yeah, yeah. And like they, they were just horribly mistaken they also clearly had a lot more time blocked off for this <laughs> yeah that and was like, why the show was so short yeah they literally like they clearly and then they send the chicken down and it's just like oh shit uh uh uh, uh. well yeah yeah you had to establish the chicken so he could come back later and then the the referee vinnie panzaneza is that Panz- panziari i think yeah yeah uh Not he bad. He has not ready for the chicken to come down yet because it's clearly the only thing that he rehearsed. And he's just like, uh, all right, I guess we're doing this then. Yeah. It's trash, man. I of all the weird things that have ever happened at WrestleMania, this basically snuff film is high on the list. I just I would give so much money to have been sitting next to Vince McMahon when this happens. Because I can't decide <laughs> if he would have been I bet furious. He his ass off. I bet he was laughing his fucking ah, ass ah, off. Ah, look at him. Look at him. Show Frankly, it I'm surprised they didn't try to sign Butterbean to a contract after this. Because yeah. Butterbean looks awesome. Pro wrestling seemed like the perfect fit for Butterbean, didn't it? Yeah. Just make him big, huggable Vader. God, I'm surprised they never made Vader fight him. I'm sure. See, that would have been the best. If Vader was in the brawl brawl. <laughs> if this is Vader versus Butterbean, and oh. we see Vader get knocked out in 30 seconds, that would have killed Vader's whole career. Yeah, Vader hadn't been knocked out since Paul Orndorff took him out in his shower shoes. Oh my! <laughs> when are we ever going to get to cover that story? Because Jesus Christ, that's one of the great ones of all. Paul Orndorff takes down Vader while wearing shower shoes. Put the boots to him in cheap flip flops. <laughs> oh my God! Uh, next up, we've got Mankind against the Big Show. Paul White stipulate. Here's that the winner gets to referee the main event. Foley is clearly not doing well at this point. He's got about 50 injuries. He should not be in the ring. They even reference it on the show. They're just like, well, my leg's all fucked up. I shouldn't be wrestling, but I guess I'm gonna. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, and he doesn't take time off for like another two months. It's not until after Over the Edge. I mean, they can't spare him. They got nobody else. Oof, yeah, Big Show looks like an idiot. <laughs> God, this match is so bad. <laughs> they have a boring five-minute brawl. Um, 
Mankind gets big show in Sako three times, but he keeps breaking out. The last time, Foley has it locked in, and he's up on Big Show's back. So Big Show just pancakes in the ring and squashes him. The old Vader special. Yeah. Show then throws chairs into the ring and choke slams Foley through them, and he's disqualified for being a dumbass. Like, and then acts so surprised afterwards. Like, wait, you guys... I thought this was the company where you were allowed to use chairs. Is that the other one? <laughs> God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, he looks like such a doofus. Yeah. And then Vince comes out and just starts, like, smacking him in the face. Uh, yeah, so this is really weird because Vince is, like, yelling and talking, and he talks a lot, and we can hear it on the camera, but he's not on mic. So we can, we catch, like, some of it. And like most of it, it's just like, why you ruined it, you big idiot, you ruined it. <laughs> yeah. So Show gets fed up, picks up Vince to choke slam him, but instead he sets him down. Vince slaps him, and Show knocks Vince out with a haymaker and walks to the back. It's a pretty big pop for it, as you would. Yeah, punching out Vince McMahon. McMahon. Yeah. There's a long post-match segment as. Foley is stretchered off and Vince is helped to the back. Like, does the Foley getting stretchered off thing really add anything to this? Oh, God, this show just... Especially since, spoiler alert, Foley's coming back. Of course. Like, yeah. who cares? This doesn't mean anything. Then Vince tells Patterson and Briscoe in the back that he wants Big Show arrested. And then we've got a fatal four-way for the Intercontinental Championship as Road Dog defends against Val Venus, Gold Dust, and Ken Shamrock in a fatal four-way elimination match. Um, rules are that you have to tag in and out of the match here, so only two guys in the ring at a time. Um, Venus won the Intercontinental title from Shamrock. Um, at St. Valentine's Day Massacre because of Billy Gunn's biased officiating. And then Road Dog beat him for the title on Raw. Uh, Goldust now has Ryan Shamrock as like part of his polyamorous family with the Blue Meanie, so it all ties together. And see, this is what doesn't make sense about Billy Gunn not being in this feud. Yeah. It's because the, the feud is basically of... Everyone who's banged Ken Shamrock or Ryan Shamrock and then her brother. Yeah. Who in real life is banging Ken Shamrock or Ryan Very Shamrock. Weird. Damn it. Very weird. So Road Dog is inserted into this and it's like, well, why doesn't he get to fuck Ryan Shamrock? I know. Poor Road Dog. It's not fair. Um, early on, Shamrock gets Venus in the ankle lock, but Venus makes it to the ropes. Then Shamrock and Venus fight out to the floor where they both get counted out. So we are quickly down to just um, Gold Dust and Road Dog. Shamrock gets his heat back by hitting both Billy or both Road Dog and Gold Dust with belly to belly suplexes, and then he leaves. Um, uh, Goldust and Road Dog work a match for a couple minutes, and then Ryan Shamrock accidentally trips Goldust, which allows Road Dog to hit a power slam and get the pin. 
this was another terrible match in a series of them. I feel like if you turn this into two separate matches, the show could be at least a little bit better, right? Well, it could have been all right. You know, like Shamrock Sh- versus Gun and uh, Goldust versus Venus, I guess. Or even Gold, like take Gun away from the title and just have it be like Goldust versus Road Dog or something. Like the, it doesn't make sense that all of these people are involved in this nonsense that started like five months before. <laughs> Back in the parking lot, we see that Big Show is being arrested and forced into a car. But it's not a police car. It's just a regular car. Like, it's a fucking Ford Focus. <laughs> I just, they have, like, the entire Philadelphia police force here. Like, 15 cops. And they couldn't get a cop car for this? I guess not. Maybe they tried and he just wouldn't fit in the back. But it's a tiny-ass car! That is true. Like, he literally has to, like, crumple up to get into the back seat. <laughs> like, he's not even handcuffed. He's just, like, got a towel around his neck, and, like, they tell him to get in the car, and he does it. And, like, that's such a weed... Especially, imagine you're trying to book an unstoppable giant, and the yeah. police come to arrest him, and he's just like, yeah, all right, you pigs. They should have had to taser him. He should have turned over the car! Yeah, Braun Strowman would have done that. Braun Strowman would have turned over the car, assaulted all of the cops, and then run off into the night. (laughs) Like the Sasquatch (sighs) that he is. Next up, we've got a grudge match as Triple H takes on Kane. This feud stems from China turning on DX to join the corporation. Uh, She was like the only one who could reach Kane. Um, Kane and Triple H had a steel cage match on Raw on the way into this, which is very strange to have a cage match on TV and then just a regular match at the pay-per-view. Especially since this one ends in DQ and sucks. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting fact about this match, yeah. This is the second longest match on this show. Not great. Not great. Don't know how you would have come to that conclusion. Uh, the feud escalated when Kane uh, tried to shoot Triple H with a fireball and accidentally hit China instead. As you do. And then Triple H disguised himself as Gold Dust, pulled a flamethrower out of his robe, and shot Kane in the face with the giant flamethrower. Let me paint you a word picture just for a second. Not even of that scene. But I just want you to imagine somewhere in New Jersey in a house, like a, let's say like a, a normal two story. Okay. At night, wife and kids are asleep downstairs up in his room. One light, just the light of the computer monitor. Vince Russo types feverishly <laughs> away with a mad grin on his face. He says, yes. And then gold dust, fake gold dust. who's actually triple H pulls a flamethrower out of his robe and sets him on fire. I was thinking he pulled it out of his pants, but Goldust wears a bodysuit, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah, uh... yeah, it's not the actual act itself that fascinates me. It's the mind that gets to the act. Yeah. It's like, what can we do? Shoot the motherfucker with a (laughs) flamethrower. 
That'll get Where over. Where are we going to get a flamethrower? I don't know, but paint that shit gold. <laughs> Fuck. This is a weird company. <laughs> uh, Kane makes his entrance, and he gets attacked by the San Diego chicken, who, of course, turns out to be Pete Rose in an amazing callback. Yes, this is the moment of the show. Oh, this is so great. Kane tombstones his ass again. Yes, and it's amazing. And it's the best babyface moment anyone has on this show. This Kane-Pete Rose rivalry was just so great. And I wish they had just kept doing it every year at WrestleMania. And it's so it came so naturally. Of just like Pete Rose cutting a shitty dickhead promo <laughs> and Kane annihilating it. And then just that kept happening. I... I vividly remember watching Royal Rumble 2001 and thinking that Pete <laughs> Rose was going to come out. That would have been so brilliant. If, like, instead of the honky-tonk man, it's fucking Pete Rose. Yeah, and Kane just smashes a gimmick baseball bat over his head and tombstones him and throws him out. That would have been, like, the greatest moment in Royal Rumble history. Oh, man. Oh, Pete totally... Blew his entire payoff on the ponies that night, didn't he? Oh, for sure. But I just, I just love what a good sport he had to have been yeah. this. Like taking a tombstone—that's serious. I wouldn't do that. And not only that, but like, hey, Pete, we think it'd be hilarious if you dressed up like the San Diego chicken and attacked Kane. And he's just like, sure, let's go, let's do it. I'm a hugely famous celebrity, but I'll do this stupid shit. Uh, I mean, he was probably having some pretty hard times financially at this point, would be my guess. He's just like, 10 bucks? Yeah. yeah. I'll attack that giant guy. Oh, for fake? Okay, that's even better. How many zeros do you think are in that check? Is 10 grand, do you think? I think it could have been. Yeah, sounds right. I mean, you know. Yeah. Vince probably, he probably would have done it for less. Yeah. Like Vince generally seems like he gives more than he needs to for that kind of thing. Uh, Triple H's music plays, but he sneaks in through the crowd and attacks Kane from behind. How did we ever have a WrestleMania without a 25-minute Triple H entrance, I ask? I don't know. What's the point? Can't imagine <laughs> that happening today. Yeah, just looking at a Triple H match at wrestlemania and saying 11 minutes you mean just for him to come down to the ring yeah <laughs> what, what the fuck do you mean Ugh. an entrance without some vague homoerotic undertones it's just not right no it's not i need it <laughs> this is not a terribly interesting match they really just kind of kick and punch each other yep i have uh, nothing to add <laughs> Kane breaks out a pretty good plancha. Yeah. That was cool. Only time I've seen him do that. Kane is fucking athletic here. I Kane, man, he is in great shape here. He looks great. He's over. Feels like he's capable of more, but I feel like they've kind of killed him off already by having him do so many jobs. Uh, yeah. There's a moment at the end where he's chasing off at the end of the Xbox Shane match where he's chasing people off where he just runs towards the ropes and just leaps over them and lands on his feet outside. And I'm yeah. like, that's terrifying for a big guy to do that. Um, China puts the steps into the ring. Triple H hits Kane with a drop toe hold that sends him into the steps. 
Uh, they go outside. Triple H goes for a pedigree on the steps, but he gets back dropped off them onto the floor. Then Kane hits a choke slam. China gets into the ring with a chair. She turns on Kane, hits him, um, hits him with the chair right in front of the ref for the DQ. Then Triple H nails Kane with the chair and hits a pedigree onto the chair. And Triple H and China are reunited in the shitty attitude era equivalent of Macho Man and Elizabeth. And there's a huge pop from the oh, crowd. Yeah. You can't deny this. Like the crowd's totally into this. Because it seems like what's happened is China has joined, rejoined DX. She's seen the error of her ways. And this is the one really cool booking decision on this show. Is that for like three matches, you genuinely believe that DX is back together. Backstage, Kevin Kelly talks about the referee situation for the main event. Mankind has been taken to the hospital, so he won't be able to officiate. And then Vince McMahon stumbles into the frame and says, by golly, I've got my referee shirt with me. I'm going to be the guest referee. I love Evil Vince so much. (laughs) Just hamming it up. And just like him wandering into the frame, looking at the ceiling like, Oh, oh, hey, yeah. is it you? Uh, by the way, oh, I'm the referee. <laughs> Bastard. Uh, next, it's a great twist, too. I, I genuinely enjoy that. Next up, we've got a women's championship match as Sable defends against Tori. Sable is the heel in this feud <sighs> because Tori was stalking her and Sable was not receptive <laughs> to her advances. <laughs> Yep, that's exactly how it worked out. Sable is so not into this. Like, she comes out to do the grind and is just has zero interest in anything that's going on here. Say, Sable has a catchphrase, which is memorable, but it's mostly memorable for the complete lack of like passion that she puts into Monotone. it. This is for all the men who came to see me. And all the women who want to be me. Are you ready for the grind? grind? (laughs) Like, and poor poor Tori. What the fuck is Tori wearing? Uh, Basically, she's wearing a Rob Van Dam singlet that covers her entire body. Yeah, like this airbrushed cat suit. Just a very odd choice, especially for this era. <laughs> what I love is when Tori goes to powerbomb Sable and Sable's ponytail is like sticking out of her ass and it looks like a tail. It sure does. <laughs> it sure does. Uh, this is an absolutely abysmal match as Sable is trying to work heel but doesn't know how to wrestle. It's incredibly slow paced. They try to do chain wrestling and it's just pain, <laughs> painful to watch. Like in and it's slow motion. It's clearly something they've practiced and oh. it's still this bad. They just like midway through, forget what they're supposed to do and freeze. At points you can hear Sable like on mic complaining that she's hurting too much, that she's being too stiff. Uh 
Sable kicks Tori in the ribs, and King says, there go the ovaries. Uh, we haven't really referenced the commentary, but it's not been it's it's been as bad as the rest of the show. Yeah, it's it's trash. Like Lawler's not really on his game. Cole is just miserable. Oh, and then, but that the everything up oh, to this point is the good part. Jesus, that's saying something. Tori knocks the referee down with a cross body that was intended for Sable. Sable goes for the Sable bomb and like sorry, Tori sort of counters it. And then Nicole Bass shows up. Her cue is totally blown. She shows up way too early, and then it takes her forever in a day to get into the ring. Yep. And forever to get Tori hits her with a press slam and just kind of drops her like a sack of shit. Looks like she hurt her. And then just kind of wanders off. And then Sable gets the pin to end this abomination of a wrestling match. This is, for my money, hilariously bad. I have watched women's wrestling dating all the way back to the 1920s. I have watched women's wrestling from the dawn of recorded time. I have watched women's wrestling and followed its path all up until the modern day. I am a fan. I am a purveyor of the history of women's wrestling, and I truly believe in myself this way. So when I say this, I just want you to understand that it comes from an educated place and a place of thought and reason. This is the worst moment in the history of women's professional wrestling. <laughs> Everything about this was terrible. And it's, to have a championship be decided like this, this might be the worst title match ever contested. Wretched stuff here. It's like a horrible match. It's a person who desperately doesn't want to be wrestling against a person being asked to carry her who also isn't good. I think you and me could get in the ring right now and come up with something better than this. I genuinely think that we could attempt to perform this same match move <laughs> for move and do a better job. Yeah. Especially since they presumably practice this for weeks in advance would be my yes. guess. Oh, At least I would sell for you, man. <laughs> God, what do you think of Nicole Bass? Such a Russo thing. It is. And Russo I mean, I guess a, I can... Russo had a hard on for Howard Stern. And I guess I can see the vague logic of like, well, a huge muscular woman got over for us before. But here's the thing. China, in her way, is beautiful. And looks like a star. Nicole Pass does not. And it's not even like a looks thing. It's just like she doesn't fit. And she can't wrestle. And none of this works. Everything she did looked like it was just stiff as shit. She's like <laughs> the ultimate warrior of women with no yeah. charisma. She's hitting those brutal choke slams. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Uh, then Kevin Kelly interviews X-Pac and DX. Uh, Triple H says DX is reunited and stronger than ever, and X-Pac is going to be taking the title from Shane tonight. Is this the first major portrayal of Triple H's career? Does it start here? Yeah, I don't think he had turned on anybody before this. 
because I think he holds the record. He kicked Shawn Michaels out of DX. That was, I guess, sort of a betrayal. Okay. Because, like, I think he holds the record for the most betrayals in the history of professional wrestling. It's up there. He learned from Shawn Michaels. He learned from the best. Yeah. And, yeah, so this this wasn't yet established as a trope yet that if Triple H is being nice to you, you're going to get betrayed. Oh. So now we've got our European Championship match as Shane McMahon defends against X-Pac. Um, Shane is backed up by Test, and the Mean Street Posse are in the front row. I absolutely love the Mean Street Posse. They're just... They have no redeeming value as human beings, and that's <laughs> what makes them so great. They're just total dickheads. They're the kind of people who, if you walked into a bar and saw them at the bar, you'd be oh. like, no, we should leave. They're fucking they're... sweater vests and they're penny loafers. These dudes are going to start some stupid fight you know, over some racist shit or something. We should just go. <laughs> like, what I love is they were actually Shane's friends from Greenwich. Yes. Except I think Joey Abs was a wrestler. Yeah, they gave him, like, one wrestler to kind of teach him how to do it. But yeah, like... Rodney and Pete Gass, and like I think there was originally another guy or two, were just like Shane's homies from Greenwich that he would hang out with and like go clubbing with in New York. That's so great. Pete Gass, what a name! <laughs> Pete Gass, Joey Abs, and Rodney, and just Rod, plain old Rodney. <sighs> Oh, I just everything about them is hilarious. Their music is amazing. It's just like some like really chill reggae. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know these guys would you know these guys would love a white reggae band. Oh god, yes. <sighs> How much weed do you think Shane McMahon smoked? <laughs> everything he could get from Raven. I think so, right? I think he taught Raven how to smoke weed. <laughs> Naturally, Vince is a protective father, was blind to that. Ugh. Oh, man. These guys are just white privilege embodied. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> I don't think they even necessarily realize how genius... <laughs> like just the great heel work, here. the great heel, and like the video packages leading up to this, like where they're ta- where they're showing footage of Greenwich, and it's all like Lamborghinis and BMWs and Bentleys on the road, and the guys are talking about how tough Shane is, how he'd have street fights every weekend in Greenwich. It's just brilliant stuff. Yep. Um, the Stooges attack Pac in the aisle, but he fights them off. Um, Shane taunts Pac. He runs from him. He busts out a really impressive leapfrog. Do you think Shane McMahon could dunk a basketball? Gosh. With the elevation he got there? Like, he jumped over a guy who was six feet tall. Like, there's a point to which, like, I would kind of believe anything of Shane McMahon. (laughs) Yeah, like... Anything is possible. Dude does like shooting star presses and corkscrew moonsaults. I've he like this month, like at 50, did a fucking shooting star. Yeah. And he's like 250 pounds now of muscle. 
Yeah, that's the incredible thing is he's in way better shape now than he was back here. Yeah. Um, Shane gets kicked in the face. Tess shaves, saves Shane from the Bronco Buster, and then he takes out X-Pac behind the ref's back. Um, Shane slams X-Pac. He goes for the corporate elbow, but Pac moves. He gets a belt and whips Pac with it, but then gets backdropped to the floor. X-Pac hits a planche out to the floor. He gets held up by the posse, so he punches them all out. Test nails Pac with a clothesline out on the floor. They go back into the ring. X-Pac hits a superplex, but Test pulls him off after a two count. Pac gets the belt. He whips Shane with it. Hits kicks in the corner and then the Bronco Buster. Um, Tess goes to throw the title belt to Shane. and He hits X-Pac with it. That only gets two. Shane goes for a Bronco Buster, but Pac moves. Now Tess gets the Bronco Buster as uh, Triple H and China come down the aisle X-Pac hits the X-Factor on Shane, but China distracts the referee. That allows Triple H to pedigree X-Pac. And in a huge swerve, Triple H and China have sold out and joined the corporation. Genius. Yeah. <clears throat> because especially, I think they knew that The Rock was going to get turned face. Just- yeah, it's clear at this point. The, they're not going to be able to keep the fans booing him for much longer. So to transfer that heat onto Triple H is like the new crown jewel of the corporation was a great idea. Yeah. No, and they pushed Triple H to the moon for the rest of this year. And it ends up working, but that was not a sure thing at all. And if I don't know, when you looked at the roster, I guess they didn't have a ton of options, but not much about Triple H stood out as far as like, this is the guy we're going to make our top heel. I say Triple H is like, that has the kind of potential where he's like all template, but like he just hasn't found it yet, right? Like he's got the body and he's got the the pedigree at no pun intended, and he's everything seems to fit, but he just hasn't found it. And over the next few months, he'll find it like one piece at a time. Yeah, he'll like he'll get the sledgehammer and he'll get the trunks instead of whatever ridiculous pants he's wearing here, and he'll get the music and. It'll all just kind of come together one piece at a time until finally he gets Stephanie, and that's it. Yeah, that's where he gets it. It is really interesting to watch kind of the week by week evolution of him throughout 1999. Like, he starts off with like still wearing the pants, and like he's got generic like WCW Saturday Night Jobber music, and then. They get in my time and the entrance kind of slowly starts to develop the water bottle, the spit in the water, the flashing lights. Then he switches to the trunks. He bulks up even more. They start calling him the game. Like it's just over several months. He get one piece at a time. He gets the things he needs to get over. It does not happen overnight. And just constantly having the belt at a time where people didn't really do that is really good. Yeah. Like he just becomes synonymous with the title in a way that people really weren't at the time. And though Russo was an advocate for him, I don't know that Russo would have had the patience to make it work. I don't know if he if Triple H really had to like sell himself to Vince. By the end of this year, 
Vince trusts Triple H in a way that he doesn't really trust the other guys he has, it seems like. Like, he's given Triple H, like, here's a 15-minute promo, and also you're going to wrestle 20 minutes at the end of the show. And, like, the show's become about Triple H. Yeah. And they never really stop being about Triple H. And you're going to get to bang my daughter. Yeah, that's the whole thing. Like, oh, you're fucking my daughter? Well, at least it's you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure, I've seen you screw rats on the road for the last five years, but that's okay. Like, what if... <laughs> Let me just spin out a weird hypothetical. What if The Rock starts banging Stephanie? <laughs> Is Vince like, all right, hold on a minute. <laughs> what if uh, Rock, it's Rock still would have dumped her and gone Hollywood. If it's what Xbox, if it's... fuck no. Get out of here. <laughs> Vince would have gotten his shotgun out at that point. Xbox would have gone missing in Greenwich. <laughs> yeah. What if it's Bart Gunn? Bart Gunn after he got knocked the fuck out here. <laughs> uh, DX runs in and we've got a brawl between DX and the corporation then the lights go out uh, Shane or Kane comes down to the ring and chases everybody off I mean it certainly seems to be leading somewhere interesting your heart has to go out to poor Kane who has only been in the company for like two years and has already been betrayed like 25 times yeah and he's only going to get betrayed by Xbox after this. Make some noise! <laughs> Fucking Xbox. DX, or, um, then we get an Undertaker, Big Boss Man video package, and now it's time for our Hell in a Cell match as the Undertaker takes on the Big Boss Man. An hey, oddity I read in The Observer. Um, it was reported that it would be revealed that Linda McMahon was working with The Undertaker against Vince and Shane. Sweet Jesus, really? That is the worst idea I have ever heard in my entire life. Like, the higher power was the un was Linda McMahon? Fuck me, that would have been terrible. I mean, it would actually have been better if it turned out the higher power was like Jack Tunney. <laughs> Brother you forgot love. about me, but I'm the president. Exactly. Um, this is kind of a rebooting of The Undertaker. I think this is the first time he uses like the heavy metal ministry theme um, with the Latin chanting at the beginning. Um, he's got a cape with spikes on it for his entrance gear, and he's got... You know, kind of his ministry gear with the shirt rather than the vest. I mean, an evolution of the character. He's always good at kind of keeping the look fresh. Like to this day, if you ask people which Undertaker that they remember the most fondly, it's definitely this one, right? God, he's so fucking cool. I love this version of his entrance music. I the like the facial hair with the satanic goatee, like. Yeah, this might be my favorite Undertaker. Like, this is as good as it gets. I just and think I mean, the character I, was more interesting and dynamic here than at any other point in his career. I just really appreciate, like, the depths to which The Undertaker goes into this, like, goth phase that he's in. I, they do some weird shit with him where he's slitting his wrist and making people drink his blood, et cetera, et cetera. I was really hoping that they were going to reveal that this was some kind of vampire thing, especially when they brought the brood in. Just like make the Undertaker like a vampire zombie. Why not? 
Yeah, vampires were hot in the 90s. Hell yeah, man. I mean, they're already doing like the crucifixes and the blood drinking and all of that stuff. Like, it's barely a skip to I'm an immortal vampire. Yeah, why not? Um, there's a really cool bit of cinematography as they shoot the WrestleMania sign through the cell cage. Yes. That was a great shot. They would uh, reuse that in the um, Cactus Jack Triple H video package for their Hell in a Cell match the year after this because you had to get through the cell to go to WrestleMania. Yep. Um, Paul Bear is backing up The Undertaker. Bossman is solo. So this is the first pay-per-view cell match since Undertaker versus Mankind at King of the Ring the previous year. That and is a lot to follow, and these guys are absolutely not capable of doing it. God, no. Like, like arguably no match no, could have followed that No one. sane person could, but this is a terrible combination, and it was a horrible idea to make this a Hell in a Cell match. And that's the thing, is after the 98 match, I would have been tempted just to retire the match concept altogether. Yeah. Or at least to hold it off until you had something year, special, for, right? Probably for years. You probably shouldn't have done another one. To do it here is just madness. I mean, after and this, like, they don't do another one until the one at Armageddon, I think. Yeah. But also, Big Show has... or I'm sorry, Bossman has no idea what to do inside of the cell. I... Just uh, Taker is, of course, hurt, which he always was in these years. So he's barely able to move. And Boss Man is immobile. So they're just going to punch each other. That's the only thing they can do. And they just endlessly punch each other. Just, yeah. Two big slugs. There is a fun spot where Undertaker sits up and Boss Man just kind of looks at him and kicks him right in the face. Yep. Just like the Boss Man is not in worried about your mystique dickhead um looked like taker got his eye gashed from the kick crowd is very dead and then they turn on the match and start chanting boring after about two minutes which seems like a brave thing to do when the undertaker's in the ring because yeah. there have been times where i genuinely felt like the undertaker was going to come over the guardrail at people who were doing that Michael Cole, trying to put the cell over, says, quote, you could get a finger caught in there. Look, as I hyped before, uh, this is the worst announcing anyone has ever done for any match. And literally, I've listened to Vince Russo call the ring of glory. <laughs> this, this is so bad. It's almost like he's being fed lines that are bad on purpose. Like, the literal idea that you would bring that up. And he sounds just, like, cheerful about this match. Like, they don't mention the stakes, if indeed you could really say that there are any. If there are any. They're not, like, put... They never mention the 98 match, really, at all. Well, like, you would think you'd be put, But, I mean, you would think that, like... Like, the damage The Undertaker can do in this cell. Yeah. Last time we were in this cell, the Undertaker almost killed a man. So then Bossman pulls out some handcuffs and cuffs Undertaker to the cell. He gets his nightstick and hits Undertaker with it. 
Taker goes down, and the fucking gimmick cuffs break right away. And I just busted out laughing at this. There are so many moments. Oh, my God. There are so many moments in Taker's career where you just feel sorry for him because he's doing some gimmicky trash, and it fails. And he just just looked so sad that, like, this is his life. Like, Jesus, this break right away. And at first he kind of tries to pretend he's still cuffed and then he gives up. And I mean, I feel like that was supposed to be like a whole five minutes of this match. I got it. It still would have sucked, but I don't know. It would have been something slightly different. But I feel that, yeah, so they basically have to like fast forward right to the end because they're like, well, there goes our only spot. Taker comes up bleeding. Crowd is totally shitting on this match. Taker gets a chair and he hits Boss Man. Boss Man blades two. Taker goes for the rope walk, but he gets crotched on the top rope. He recovers, hits the tombstone. We're done in less than 10 minutes. This was so bad. This was the worst Hell in a Cell match by a pretty wide margin, I'd say. This is worse than like the free on raw Hell in a Cell matches oh, with a, an already injured mankind in them. This is worse. This might be the worst Undertaker match. Full stop. And he wrestled Giant Gonzalez twice. Yeah, he did. I mean, this is at least those were like perversely watchable. <laughs> There's no redeeming value to this. And somehow it's only going to get worse from here. Edge, Christian, and Gangrel descend from the ceiling onto the roof of the cage. Gangrel almost slips as he's landing and falls off the cell. Well, yeah, because he's like his descent almost takes him off the side. He came in hot. They break through the ceiling and drop what a noose into the ring. Yes, a noose. The Undertaker is going to hang the big boss man. Let's talk about this. Just as an idea, this is preposterously stupid, isn't it? Yeah. You're gonna hang him? You're gonna hang the motherfucker. Like, to death? In front of these people and children? In front of a massive pay-per-view audience, you are going to hang a man. I, and then here's the thing. (laughs) If there are children out there who aren't smartened up, which is their own fault, but if there are, the Undertaker kills the big boss man here. Oh my God. But before that, the brood re-rig themselves, which is crazy. Crazy unsafe. Yes. Like, Get, every part oh. of this is unsafe because they're just like going down on cables, like, yeah. not like full harnesses or anything. And then they have to kick open a hole in the cell to feed down the noose. They, not trained people at all, rig up the noose so it won't murder the boss man. The boss man's life is literally in the hands of Gangrel, Edge, and Christian. To set up the thing correctly. Future porn director Gangrel. Yes. 
and then they hook themselves back oh up God. and are propelled up into the rafters jerkily. And then and Christian gets stranded. Yeah, Christian gets stuck. He's just hanging there. And like, fuck. It is not at all we, surprising Owen Hart died in an accident from a similar stunt two months after this. And I guarantee you this was evidence in that case. Like, these people are not responsible. Like, this could have gone wrong so many ways. This is so dumb. Like, genuinely, what happens if the big boss man is accidentally hung for real? Is this company shut down? Would have been real bad. Real bad. If, if you literally hung him to death in front of everyone? Oh, my God. Because I understand how you do a trick like that. I understand that yeah, like, he's, the brute is up there. He's got a body harness, so it displaces the pressure. But, yeah, still. And like literally, and like they're hooking up the, the the harness to all the different points of the cage, so it distributes the weight evenly, so it's not just jerking on his neck. I, I get how it works, but still, yeah, you just got amateurs doing it on the fly. That's not a good idea. Madness, and you know that Edge and Christian, if they went back and watched this now, would only be thinking about Owen and like, man, we could have died. This was so stupid, so so bad. So they. Paul Bear raises the cell. Boss Man is hung. He's kicking his legs. He's turning purple. He's holding his breath. He's starting to swing around so the hard camera is going to be able to see that he's rigged up so Taker has to, like, grab his foot and steady him. Uh. And then Michael Cole on commentary. Could this be symbolic? Is Undertaker hanging the corporation in effigy? Is it symbolic, King? Is it symbolic? No, it's actually pretty fucking literal. They're hanging a man. That is it. His only concern is, is it symbolic that the Undertaker's hanging the ministry? Michael, a man is being hung in the ring to He's death. dying. <laughs> and all you're concerned about is the wrestling feud. Like, this has to have been written for him, right? Oh, I guarantee you, yeah. Jim Ross is in his ear being like, her, no, it's not a hanging. It's a symbol. It's symbolism. Pure madness. Also, like, shouldn't there be, like, referees? Shouldn't this be, like, referees, like, desperately trying to break into the cage and save Boss Man? I mean, that would have put this over more if it had been like the Miz and R-True thing. Yeah, exactly. Where like the whole roster's trying to get in and stop this. Yeah. At least like the corporation. (laughs) Where are they? Yeah, nobody gives a shit. Boss Man's dying. We see Vince again on this show, and he does not mention that his bodyguard has been hung to death. Totally disconnected from the rest of the show, which is not like the way they tended to book things in this era. They tended to actually interweave the stories. So weird. And to cap it all off, Boss Man was on Raw the next night as if nothing had happened. Naturally. Uh, We get some clips of the WrestleMania Rage Party, and then Michael Cole introduces Jim Ross to announce the main event. Nice reaction for JR. Great to see him back. He 
tips his hat to Cole on the way down, ending their feud, and his heel turn is dropped at this point. Thank God. Then Howard Finkel introduces Mr. McMahon to serve as the special guest referee for this match. But then he's cut off by Shawn Michaels, who gets a huge pop. He comes out with Mike Chioda as the referee. Shawn gets on the mic saying they can't have a WrestleMania without HBK. Then he says Vince has got to read that goddamn rule book. <laughs> As we've fact, referenced before, Shawn Michaels' gimmick, he is the only man who's read the rule book. He has to take several months off at a time to yeah. reread it. He's just sitting in his study in San Antonio with his spectacles on, reading the rule book and the case law and taking notes. I just love the idea of him like sitting in his recliner, like reading the rule book while he watches Raw and being like, ha, I got you, Vin, man, right here, rule 13. Yeah. This one's been ruled on before. Only the commissioner can appoint a referee at WrestleMania. So Vince is not going to be the referee. Mike Chioda is. And the corporation is banned from ringside. Pretty good deal for Stone Cold. Yeah, it worked out well. Are you kind of surprised they didn't have Sean as the referee here? I don't know why he didn't just appoint himself the referee, yeah. Yeah, that would have added some intrigue. And then he would have just got bumped like the million referees did in this match. Yep, maybe that's why. Maybe he's just not They want to have him get taken out, yeah. Is this one of the 50 times you thought he was coming back? You know, I don't know what it was. It, It doesn't seem like he was interested in coming back to wrestle at this point. Felt like he was moving on. Also, he had just had back surgery like two months before this, so I don't think he was physically ready to wrestle. That makes sense. Uh, They cut out the part where Michael Cole said that the new WWF champion, Steve Austin, will be on the Home Shopping Network after the show. (laughs) Fuck, how does that happen? I... Next up, we've got our main event for the WWF Championship. The Rock defends against Stone Cold Steve Austin. This is what the world has come to. Thank God this has finally arrived. (laughs) This has been a long and shitty show so far. Yeah. Rock is out first, and he is looking like a million bucks. He's... Back to wearing trunks after he's worn the workout gear for the last couple months um, to cover the fact that he had surgery to remove uh, some fatty tissue from his chest. Looking absolutely awesome here. Got the belt draped over his shoulder in tremendous shape. Just absolutely at his prime. There's just literally only one thing that's missing to make this perfect. And that's the Biggie theme song. (laughs) Oh, God, I love it. How did they not stick with that? If you have not, we've mentioned this thing so many fucking times on this show. If you've never actually gone and pulled up the YouTube video of The Rock and his like notorious B.I.G. ripoff theme song, literally, you need to do that. I pull it up and listen to it like twice a week. It's so stupid, but I do. Yeah. I what a great entrance theme, just perfect for him. So it's really it's the beat of hypnotize with no lyrics. Yes, but like. 
you basically just get like the baseline and it's so good. Yeah. Like would have been absolutely perfect for him. Instead, he's stuck with the nation remix for, you know, his entire career. And it's not horrible, but they remix it like 20 times because they know it's not perfect. Yeah. They just keep adding in more drums and bass to it. Yep. Austin is out second to an absolutely massive pop. He's wearing an ill-fitting t-shirt rather than his typical vest, which looks incredibly weird. Yeah, that's part of what made this feel like a raw thing to me. Is yeah. he just Austin is not presenting this like this is a big deal. Like he doesn't get like a special entrance. He doesn't dress specially for this. He's just wearing a t-shirt. So the backstory is he forgot the vest as he was packing up, him and his wife were fighting and he kind of left in a hurry and forgot to pack his vest. Now, what I understand is why didn't he just come out shirtless? Yeah. Like he would look much better just coming out without no vest, no shirt. He's just ready to go. He can just storm to the ring and they can fight right away. Why didn't he just wear the Undertaker's giant spiky cape then? That would have looked better too, if we're being honest. No, but yeah, just come out shirtless, dude. Are you that insecure? Yeah, it's just the t-shirt looks terrible. It's way too big for him. Yep. They immediately go to the floor and fight into the crowd. They end up on the stage. Austin goes for a pile driver, but he gets backdropped onto one of the lights. His knee is braced up, but this sounded looked really bad. It really did. Um, they fight back down the aisle to the announce tables where Austin hits Rock with an elbow off the barricade. He does it a second time because the table didn't break the first time. This time the table breaks. Uh, they go back into the ring. Rock pops up and hits a rock bottom. That gets only a two count as Austin kicks out. Austin gets a chair. He swings at Rock, but he hits Kyoto instead when Rock pulls him in front. Or Kyoto. Rock takes down Austin with a swinging neck breaker, and then he works over Austin's knee with a chair. Rock covers as Tim White, the new referee, slides in and counts two. Rock hits a Samoan drop for another two count. Rock then turns on Tim White and hits him with the rock bottom. <laughs> Fuck Tim White. And the entire uh, history of Rock Austin matches, referees do not do well. No, they don't. Austin then catches Rock with a stunner. Earl Hebner runs in to make a delayed two count, and Rock kicks out a two. I love that from 20 years ago, we can name all these referees. But I can't tell you the name of one referee on the roster right now. Uh, I think that the female referee on NXT is named Jess. <laughs> yeah, they do not have names anymore. They are not people. No, they're just conduits. <laughs> yeah. When they can have robots do this or holograms, they totally will. Oh, my God. Holograms. Can you imagine? It could bring back Tommy Young. <laughs> <sighs> Um, Vince shows up Austin grabs another chair but he gets distracted by Vince hit with a low blow by Rock Rock and Vince then put the boots to Austin in the corner as Mankind comes down the aisle 
Mankind punches out Vince. Austin rolls up Rock for a close two count. Then Austin hits the Thez press and big right hands on the Rock. Rock hits another Rock bottom. He goes for the corporate elbow, but Austin moves. Austin goes for the gut kick to set up the stunner. Rock catches him, goes for the Rock bottom, but Austin fights out, hits the stunner. Mankind counts the one, two, three, and Austin wins the title. Good, strong match, but, you know, definitely the worst of their three WrestleMania matches. Yeah. I mean, it it really, it's a good match. You can see that these guys have impeccable chemistry. They're just figuring it out, but you can see the groundwork being laid for later. And basically the story of WrestleMania 17 is that it's this same match, except both guys are so much stronger and want it so much more. And like that's what's so great about 17 is that instead of one finisher ending it, nothing can end it because both guys have become so much greater than they even are here two years before. So that's an amazing match. This match is okay. That's good. They, they had a better match the month after this at Backlash. Yeah, see, that's the thing. This feels like an Unforgiven. It feels like not even like a SummerSlam, maybe a Survivor Series. Like... It feels like, all right, well, this isn't the match between these two, but it's a match between these two. Austin stuns Vince and pours beer on him as the show ends. Really feels like this should have been the conclusion to the Austin-McMahon feud. Yeah, it really does. The most important moment of this is the look on Vince's face at the end, where he just looks like his world has crumbled. Like his... All of his machinations to keep Austin away from the belt. All of the things that he built over the course of months and months and months. Screwing Austin at at Survivor Series. Taking The Rock under his wing. Selling out everything to make sure that The Rock was the true corporate champion. That he was the true replacement for Austin that he had always dreamed of. But Rock loses. But show turns on him. He has nothing left. Boss Man's been killed. There is no more corporation after the end of tonight. It's over. Vince's dream is over. Austin has won. And it feels that should be such a bigger moment than it is. But since the fact that they didn't hype it for shit, it just kind of, Vince is the only one selling it. Yeah. So Vince would actually, you know, turn face after this and, move away from feuding with Austin, instead really focus on the Undertaker feud. Shane would really take his place as the leader of the corporation and be the one spearheading the feud with Austin. But then they would flip that when Vince was revealed to be the greater power and we were kind of just back to square one with Vince and Austin feuding. Yep. But... Yeah, that is a wrap for WrestleMania 15. We go to the highlight package, and we are out. Um, Not a good show. No. Terrible. No, no, no. Honestly, just an awful WrestleMania. I think this has probably got to be in the bottom five of what we've watched so far. This show blows. Like, it's just... There's no other way to put it. Like, match for match... It's miserable. Even the things that WWE thought was going to be good, like maybe they genuinely had hopes for the Brawl for All. Maybe they genuinely had hopes that they could do something with Sable after this show or that the big show would get over. It's all miserable. 
Like the things that were supposed to be good are terrible, and the only things that are good are Shane McMahon. Yeah, I mean, there was plenty to work with coming out of this because it they didn't really end any of the feuds here. So backlash was really just you know a redo of WrestleMania, but really all the matches were better the second time around. Yeah, this isn't hopeless like WrestleMania 10 and 11 and 12 and 13. Those all felt hopeless because it felt like there was no future. Here, it's clear that things are going so well. This doesn't matter. This is just a waste of time is all it is. Like you don't need to. This is a pointless show. You don't need to see it. No, and WrestleMania is just it's not that huge at this point. It does still just kind of feel like another pay-per-view. This is just the show each year where Vince feeds his nostalgia about how great the company used to be. It doesn't mean that anymore. Like, it just doesn't. They don't make WrestleMania huge again until 17 when they go back to the stadium and it's back to being a four-hour show and it's got tons and tons of huge matches. They're just... I don't think Russo saw WrestleMania that way. Yeah, it just so happens that Russo leaves and... WWE somehow stumbles across arguably the greatest show in wrestling history. And it's the first one in the dome and it kind of reinvents the idea of WrestleMania. But without that WrestleMania, as we understand it now, it wouldn't exist. It would and just you know, have continued being this, you know, we're looking forward to that, but unfortunately we got one uh, more to do before then we got to do WrestleMania 2000 first, the night where everyone in the entire wrestling industry gets on the card. Everybody's got a tag match. Oh, Jesus, Steve. Teddy Long must have booked this shit. <laughs> tag match, player. Oh, Jesus. We've got a fatal four-way main event. A McMahon in every corner. Triple H defends the WWF title against The Rock, against The Big Show, and against the retired Mick Foley. I can't wait to talk about the things that they almost did with that main event and how like just batshit insane they would have had to have been. And the triangle ladder match, the Dudley boys against Edge and Christian and the Hardy boys. Finally a good match. And then lots and lots of matches no one cares about. All that yeah. and more next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.